Conversations from the Retreat From the Center for Sustainable Stewardship Brought to you in part by Big East Fork Retreat at BigEastFork.com This is Tony Gerber. Hello. We are uh, back here at the retreat. Um, the uh, studio has been moved back here from our downtown office uh, here at the uh, Sustainability Radio. So so I have with me today uh, James Fox, who uh, was just uh, recently had a about 21 uh, yogis teaching related to a prison yoga program that he is uh, the starter of, which we'll look forward to talking about, and uh, also Amy Barnes, who uh, uh, is an integral part of the Nashville community here related to a lot of different levels, so we're going to talk a little bit about her specialties. Welcome. Well, thank you, Tony. Thanks. Um, I, I've just looked a little bit about the prison yoga program, so... Um, very uh, noble cause and uh, very intrigued on the story. Thank you. Well, um, it's really a pleasure to be here with Amy, too. We're kindred spirits because we have a lot of the same experience in working with with prisoners. And um, I started the Prison Yoga Project in 2002. I was invited to start a program at San Quentin Prison in California and um, since that time, the program has expanded, and uh, we now have programs, or at least our program at San Quentin has been replicated to jails and prisons in 26 states. And also outside the U.S., we have programs in Mexican prisons and in Canadian prisons, and, and I still go into San Quentin, and uh-huh. I also teach trainings in a specific methodology that pretty much has been informed by my experience uh, over the last 15 years of teaching male prisoners, Uh although a lot of our programs are for female prisoners, and we also have programs for youth as well. And the approach that we use is a trauma-informed, mindfulness-based approach with the understanding that most people who are incarcerated are carrying issues of unresolved trauma Mm -hmm. that typically originate early in life and have never really been addressed. So not necessarily related to the crime, but just... Perhaps the crime was a result of not being able to deal with the mental and the emotional issues of the unresolved early in life trauma. Right. So it sets people on a course of more trauma. Yeah. And what we, we call that original pain. So, for instance, if a child was abandoned by a mother or father early in life uh-huh. and then started out on a course of um, not having his or her needs met, then that can create 
secondary pain. So original pain, secondary pain. Right. And um, so I'm just going to interject here because I think Amy's a little bit on the uh, time frame. So were you, were you here part of the um, uh, retreat that he did over the weekend? Or? Well, I was here for the last segment. Um, I was not able to attend the entire weekend because Saturday I did my second prison project at the South Central Corrections Facility in Clifton, Tennessee, which is a yoga slash music therapy program for wow. a mentally yeah. ill pod of incarcerated men there. Okay. And do you work yeah. with Masood some on that? No. Okay. Mm-mm. So this is just, yeah, well, I, I, I guess I didn't know that's... Is that your main well, thing? Well, the music that you work therapy with? really is based in mantra, which is really a yogic technique to connect with the center of the self, our very nature. Right. And when we add that sound and begin to chant and actually sing in a group setting, it connects us to each other as yeah, music has that beautiful mystical quality of, of joining, of yeah. uniting us. So yeah. it's a. It's a wonderful way uh, to open the heart and to connect with ourselves and each other through sound and music and teaching very secularly about mantra. Mantra basically means the liberation of the mind. And it's a way to access the pranic body, uh, depending, because there's, I don't generally have enough time to inquire about individuals physical ailments. I don't have the benefit of knowing what medications they're on. So we do very gentle opening of the body um, with breathing as the main focus, really focused, unified breath in the room. And then we begin to add sound and the primal sound of OM and expand that into mantra chanting. And I mix in some old time spiritual music river songs and some amazing grace and you know some contemporary music as well that have very universal uh, lyrics that everyone can connect with so so are all are all prisons open to this kind of you know outside uh, i don't know what programs coming into the prisons or is it no no it it there's been an evolution of um, of receptivity by prisons and jails. Um, I would like to think that uh, we've had something to do with that. Um, we have a book that I wrote in 2009 for prisoners that we started out sending hmm. free to prisoners who contacted us asking for a book in 2010, and we've sent 26,000 copies of that book to prisoners wow. all over the country. And so I think the book has planted seeds in a lot of facilities. Uh-huh. And it used to be that for us to be able to establish a program in a jail or prison, we needed to go to the jail or prison, meaning we, the teachers who trained with me and some of the other people that I work with, had to go to a jail or prison and make a presentation. Mm-hmm. And in the last three years, we've seen a change. We have jails and prisons contacting us saying, well, yeah. we'd like to start a yoga program. We may not want a teacher to come in, but we would like books and maths and anything else you can do for us. And so we've started creating practices on film. 
so that we can build a library of yoga practices that we could send to prisons where a teacher's not going in and they can allow the prisoners to practice on their own. And I think what Amy is talking about, yoga offers different expressions for Mm self-transformation. And so the gift that Amy brings in through sound and through sound healing is still serving life skills. It's still serving community, which in yoga we call sangha. And what separates a yoga community from other kinds of community is there's an intentional focus on supporting one another's highest good Uh rather than supporting one another's persona or personality. So whether that's done through mantra, through chant, through music, through physical movement, through meditation, (laughs) it all, Mm -hmm. don't you agree with that? I completely agree with that. Absolutely. And in the system of yoga, they talk about the five layers or the five koshas. So we've got the outer layer, the food body, the physical body, which is a beautiful place to start because especially in a deeply traumatized population, we exit the body. So a lot of times the, the mind, basically these guys and women are residing. And we out here, I mean, it's all, <laughs> we've all got the same issues mm-hmm. just to different levels. But yeah. um, we begin with the body and with the breath, the breath entering the body so that there becomes a little more space to begin to open and allow the mind mm-hmm. to begin to flow with the breath. And then the body, you know, helps as the gateway, really. Yeah. So the body's a beautiful place to start. And, and breath is central. Breath is primary. Breath is primary. So, sadly, I would love to well, continue Amy, this. I'm so sorry. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure. Yeah. Such yeah. a and pleasure. We'll, we'll such have, an honor. We'll have you back. Yeah. With, and with your mother. Thank you, so. my hero. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much. Namaste. Have a, namaste. <laughs> have a good Memorial Day. So I was going to ask, was, is there a, has there been a difference with the privatized kind of prison as the way that, uh, you know, you've had to interact with as opposed to, you know, a few years ago? Uh, we, um, well, first of all, uh, only about 8% of prisons in the country are, are privatized prisons. Okay. Uh, and most of them are federal have federal contact federal contracts uh-huh. um, a number of the immigration prisons um, federal immigration prisons are private prisons so there aren't a lot of state private prisons okay we have very little dealings with them um, we we go where we are asked to go where we are either invited to go or where we have teachers who are trained and then they make the presentation to a jail or a prison to bring a program in okay. which is a which is an important part of the training that I teach how do you deal with these institutions how do you take right. how do you take an evidence-based approach to why they should have a yoga program not simply oh, you're going to feel a lot better and prisoners are going to feel a lot happier. That's true. But institutional thinking is, hey, tell me the real rationale why I should have a yoga program. And you can start with, well, perhaps it'll reduce your health care costs. 
which are among the highest costs for keeping a prisoner incarcerated. And there's an abundance of evidence in the public domain mm-hmm. uh, about yoga as a complementary health practice that proves that it can be a cost-saving uh, complementary health practice. Right. Wow. <clears throat> well, the doctors joined us over here. <laughs> Thank you, Tony. So, so James, the um, yoga has a calming effect on me, and it does on the it's anti anti anxiety, <clears throat> and uh, reduces uh, ag- aggressiveness. I'm not a particularly aggressive person, but I assume it might so in the incarcerated population. Is there any? Um, it seems self evident that. A, a prison population that would be introduced to yoga might have better ways of conflict resolution than than physical or intimidation. Um, I, I wonder if that can be uh, measured or used as a way to uh, to introduce your program into correctional facilities. It can be measured. Uh, there are some standard scales that could be used the pre and post questionnaires for programs particularly when you're starting a program and the participants have not had experience doing yoga. And we've actually done this. We did a study in South Carolina with a group of women prisoners um, that the results after 12 weeks were indicated that there was decreased stress, decreased anxiety, increased self-awareness, which are all the kind of cornerstones for leading to uh, greater self-control, and uh, there was a study done by the National Council on Crime and Delinquency on my program at San Quentin that uh, showed that participants in my program had calmer temperament, uh, emotional stability, um, and a number of other things, decreased anxiety, um, relief from chronic physical pain, which of course is a huge issue, uh, particularly in the prison population where the living conditions are so poor. So if p- people think, like in society, uh, back pain, uh, hypertension, these things are epidemic in the prison population. So we do have a scale, we do have an assessment, uh, pre and post questionnaire that was developed for us by the University of San Francisco that measures what's called uh, hostility reduction. And irritability, irritability leads to hostility. And so there's also a measurement there for reduction in irritability and reduction in hostility, uh, stress reduction, um, and these these kind of measures. We got some serious background now. For the yeah. listeners out there, oh, okay. we've got we've got some pressure washing going on out on the deck <laughs> we're, we're here. Cleaning at the our deck here at the uh, so you got a little, little wash of sound in the back there. But um. however, the issue is, having said that, that we have this we have this measurement. It's very difficult to get approval from institutions. I mean, you would think that the institutions would want this, but we're still struggling you know, with a cultural divide. Um, it seems like the money part of it would be a big part of the deciding factor for them, saving money on health care costs. But 
Is that one of the main, you mentioned, is that like one of the main angles? Well, not only that, but most of uh, the teachers who go in and teach programs do do so voluntarily. So it doesn't cost the institution. Right. Um, So you get grant money? You've got a nonprofit organization behind this? Yes. I'm supported by the, I I operate under the Give Back Yoga Foundations uh, 501c3. Okay. Is there a URL for that, James? Yes, there is. It is givebackyoga.org. Okay, excellent. And yeah. then what's your URL for your... Prisonyoga.org. All right. Yeah. Um, is there... It's one of the counter... The, the wins against your effort. Um, could it be that prisoners have done something bad? They're not entitled to something good. Is, is yoga like a good thing that people pay for and that, get benefits from, and they're not they're not worthy of getting this this thing? And what what would be the blowback from from the institutional standpoint? So, starting from the macro level, our criminal justice system is a retributive justice system, as is most of the Western world, as is most of the world. So justice is equated with punishment. You do the crime, you do the time. And 40 years ago, there was much more rehabilitation. There was much more focus on rehabilitation. The fact of the matter is, for the naysayers, the fact of the matter is 90% of prisoners are going to return to society. So what kind of person do you want returning to society? Somebody Mm -hmm. who's been locked in a cage without having access to rehabilitative programs, without having access to self-inquiry programs, uh, without having access to programs that help people make significant life changes in the way that they're behaving. To me, it's a no-brainer. Yeah, it However, seems to be. What, so what's the, I don't understand the resistance to introducing this. Essentially is that this country, through the war on drugs and tough on crime over the many years, has bought into punishment as justice. There is a movement in this country. There's a movement in what's called restorative justice. And restorative justice isn't anything new. Restorative justice is an indigenous practice. Restorative justice focuses on harm caused so that when a crime is committed, it's recognized that a harm was caused somebody. And in fact, it was caused many people. It was first, primarily, it was caused the survivor of a crime or the victim of a crime. It was caused the person who committed the crime. Harm was caused to that person, to their family, their community, the entire community suffers. The way this was handled typically indigenously, if an offense was caused in the community, the offender was brought before the community and it was discussed, what shall we do about this? And that person's family was able to apologize to the community. And maybe the elders of that community were were the ones who determined, okay, this is how you are going to address the harm that you caused. So There is a movement in this country, in various parts of the country, and it's particularly happening in juvenile court for lesser offenses, not like serious felonies, Mm -hmm. uh, assault, murder, rape, things like that. It is not being applied. But for other kinds of crimes, drug crimes, personal property crimes and things like that, 
there are now restorative justice courts in juvenile systems. And in California, there's a major program that I used to be a part of called Victim Offender Education, which is the focus in working with offenders with restorative justice is on their taking personal responsibility for the harm that they caused. And it's not done through punishment. Um, I would ask anybody who's listening to this, as I ask myself, was I able to make changes in my behavior as a result of being punished harshly? Mm, I don't think so. Uh -huh. But if somebody took the time to really investigate with me, why is it that I committed the offense or and really help me determine what the roots of that action was, I was able to see for myself, mm -hmm, okay, I see, I'm willing to take self-responsibility and make a change. James, if it's if it's difficult sometimes to gain access to the to the person in prison, um, I, I wonder if it's if it's easier to uh, to access the family family members. Uh, eventually, after release, the person might be going back to their family, and um, well, certainly the family has stresses associated with that. But they also might be the um, primary caregivers and and uh, or, or half. A half station or a way station for them out. Mm -hmm. um, has that been? Uh, is that yoga for for family members? Is no, we haven't gotten to that point yet. I mean, our next um, goal would be to start reentry programs for prisoners, so that when they get out, if they if they were practicing yoga and they wanted to continue practicing yoga. Uh, we would like to be able to set up situations where they wouldn't have to go to a yoga studio because they may not feel real comfortable going into a yoga studio, a mm -hmm. typical American yoga studio, but be able to set up community classes, uh, in, at least in some of the major areas where we work, in some of the major cities where we work. Some of this is being done, actually. Uh, for instance, in Boston, where I was last month teaching, there's a wonderful program called Hands to Heart, uh, that has a lot of programs, and one of their programs is serving prisoners upon reentry. So the the next step beyond that, I guess, would be working with families and 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 providing programs for families. Um, we're just not there yet. Mm -hmm. I had a, I had a question. I uh, I had seen a picture, I think, in of uh, you in Norway, somewhere looking, but. Um, what are, what are some of the differences? Because, I mean, the Scandinavian culture, of course, is pretty different on a lot of levels. But what are some of the differences in their prison and the way that they go about in some of the other countries? Yeah, it's pretty dramatic. I've had experience working in, uh, in Norway, Sweden, and the Netherlands. Um, first of all, those are small countries. I mean, Norway's got four, four and a half million people. Hmm. And it also has uh, significant resources, financial resources, and it's a, it's a country, it's a socialist country, as, mm -hmm. is, as is Sweden and somewhat the Netherlands. So there's much more focus on providing services for the population, and that goes right down to the prisoners. Uh -huh. um, so there's more of a focus on rehabilitation um, there's more of a focus on assisting prisoners once they get out of prison. Uh, there is no death sentence, for instance, in any of those countries. 
Um, the longest prison, the longest prison sentence is usually around twenty years. Probably the greatest differences that I uh, witnessed when I was there was much more of a focus on human dignity and understanding, mm -hmm. and really making efforts to help prisoners turn their lives around. Yeah. And um, putting money into it, putting money into rehabilitative programs. Um, and then the other thing is that the um, prison custody staff, so custody staff is typically captain, lieutenant, sergeant, guards, okay. or correctional officers is a better way of putting it. Correctional officers in those countries uh, have to have training in psychology sociology, um, de-escalation techniques are a big focus of their training, uh -huh. something that in the U.S. is just beginning to be looked at. Uh, I know California is beginning to look at that and incorporate it into the trainings of the correctional officers. But in these countries, it's been long-time education uh -huh. for guards. Remember when I went to, first time I went to a prison in Norway, and we made a presentation to the prison staff, and then they allowed us to use the gym to introduce yoga to a group of prisoners, and there were about 20 prisoners there. And I started the class, and one of the guards was standing on the side next to the prisoners, and I saw him taking off his belt, and my natural response, having come from the U.S., was, oh my gosh, what's happening now? Well, he was taken off his belt because he was getting right in with the prisoners to do the yoga practice. Huh. So that pretty much demonstrates yeah. the difference. Right, right. That's yeah. interesting. I, I enjoyed listening to you speak yesterday, James, and um, I was struck by the analogies between a, a person who might have... Uh, anger management issues or, or reactive have have negative reactions to to stimuli that are not conscious or not uh, not mindful and uh, people who have uh, addictions and who do things that knowingly they, they know is not good for them but they do it anyway and the same techniques of taking that of, of, of breathing and um, having a space between exhalation and inhalation would be useful in both and um, useful in all all deliberative actions is just uh, instead of reacting, as you know how to act consciously and mindfully to to have a good result. And uh, you know these techniques, whether you're in, imprisoned in, in behind uh, in a steel uh, structure or you're imprisoned by your your habits and, and reflexes, is um, I, I had a hard time differentiating the two. <laughs> yeah. they, they, they melt into each other. <laughs> it's fascinating. Yeah, one of the um, one of the granddaddies of uh, bringing awakening practices into prisons was a guy named Bo Losoff. Passed away a couple of years ago, and Bo wrote a book called "We're All Doing Time." Hmm. And um, I think you're you're pointing to that that you know whether you're imprisoned by a building and bars or whether you're imprisoned by your own mind and. And, um, or imprisoned by your addictions or whatever. Um, it, it's learning, as, as my students say, it's learning how to hit the pause button. 
and the pause button doesn't have to be a half minute. The pause button can be five conscious breaths. If bringing, it's, it's all a matter of consciousness. It's all a matter of training the mind to raise one's consciousness so that one is more aware, one is more conscious in the moment so they can realize, oh, I see the habitual habit is to reach for that pill or the habitual habit is that I want to feel better now so I'm going to have a drink. And so if it becomes an addictive tendency, how do you interrupt that? And you interrupt it first and foremost with self-awareness and consciousness of saying, wait, I have a choice here. And that can happen in, and as we were talking yesterday, Jonathan, about just taking five breaths, five really conscious breaths, long, you know, full inhales and long exhales and pausing slightly after you inhale, pausing slightly after you exhale and creating that space to make a considered response rather than a knee-jerk reaction. Uh, and you, you could say, well, okay, that's simple. Yeah, yeah, it's simple, but it's also really difficult because you are, you are working against ingrained behavioral habits that the only way those ingrained behavioral habits are going to be broken is through a process of de desire, commitment, discipline. Mm -hmm. And then when you, when you fail, uh, you go back to the process again. So, so looked in that respect, yoga is a, is a technique, uh, a, a, a set of skills one can learn to uh, disconnect the, uh, the uh, a stimulus to a, a, a response that's, that's uh, automatic and put it under conscious control. And, you know, everyone needs this, everyone can benefit from this technology. And you're selecting the, the prison population is to apply these, these techniques that, that are, are, are basically life skills, good life skills for everyone to learn. Um, is, you know, the population you're dealing with for whatever reason is, is probably to a large degree there because they don't have as good skills as, as other people might have on their own, even without any specific training. And, um, you know, can these be taught? They're hard enough for, for, for humans on the outside to learn. Um, it, it could be more difficult for people on the inside to learn because they have some pre-existing uh, pre brain chemistry that causes them to be more reflexive. Um, of course, maybe they could benefit more, even more than, than the outside person. But uh, it's, it's, it's fascinating. Yeah, I think it's a combination of, um, of habits and, um, you know, most people in prison grew up without access to a lot of resources that could have intervened with some of these issues. And, and then in another way, they're a more open population to work with because, in a certain sense, they're on the bottom rung. Mm -hmm. And I've heard things like, man, I'm tired of being tired. And in terms of working, working with prisoners, I did other kind of work with prisoners, also violence prevention work and some emotional literacy work. 
and guys basically looking at their lives going, you know, I've spent 13 years of my adult life in prison and I'm tired. And it's like, yeah, how, how was that working out for you, the way you were living your life? And so it's like, okay, I'm open. Mm-hmm. It, so there's there tends to be, for those people, because all these programs are voluntary, they don't have to go to these programs. Uh, on your book, you certainly have testimonials from men who have benefited that and are, and are um, part of the, the uh, yoga. And all the programs at San Quentin, of which there are many, 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 many programs, they're all voluntary. They don't have to go to programs. It's voluntary. So they go with a desire, and then it's like, okay, now you're in the program, now you got to do the work. <laughs> and that's when, that's when the rubber meets the road and the real difficulties of, you know, like really facing ingrained behavioral habits. And, um, and you know, it is the same. It is the same for everybody. Prisons are a microcosm of society. We may like to think that, okay, there's society out here and then there are prisons. You know, put people in prison and because they did something wrong and throw away the key. But they are a reflection of society. They're a microcosm of society. So they represent us in lots of different ways. Hmm. Boy, it's a no-brainer for me. This uh, really should be promoted and uh, it should be state-supported and, and the whole community benefits. And um, it, yeah. it shouldn't be hard to demonstrate the, the evidence that, it, uh, that it's helpful. I mean, it sounds like that's the direction it's going, though. Eventually, I think so. I, I mean, you're making so. ground, right? Yeah, we yeah. are. We definitely are making progress. And, so that's uh, awesome. Well, thanks very much for the opportunity to be able to talk about it. I could go on all day. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, thank, thanks for sitting down with us. And, well, uh, hopefully we'll have you back someday, James. James Fox with the uh, Prison Yoga Project. And, uh, PrisonYoga.org. PrisonYoga.org. And thank you so very much, and thank you so much for your hospitality, John, here at the Big East Fork Retreat. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. Well, the Re- Center for Sustainable Stewardship looks uh, forward to having you back and, and more fellows like you. So that's uh, CSSFamily.org. And Tony, you can close it. Thanks, yeah, Tony. This is uh, Tony Gerber with Sustainability Radio with uh, the doctor and uh, James Fox, and we are signing out for another episode. We'll talk to you later. You just heard Conversations from the Retreat. from the Center for Sustainable Stewardship. CSSFamily.org